We're continuing on with the Broken series and I'm tying it in a little bit with what the vision of the church is. Six months ago, we presented the vision of the church for the next uh, three years uh, back in September and how everything was going to really be centred around building. Um, So we're revisiting that a little bit this morning with the Bible story that we're uh, looking at and tying it in with the Broken uh, series and we're looking at um, really... There's Nehemiah, and particularly the first chapter of Nehemiah, and just a wee sentence in there that, that helps us, uh, because one of the things we'd said, and we've, I preached on this in recent weeks, that, that, that often we're broken because God wants to fix us, or we're broken because God wants to repair us, uh, but also one of the th- reasons we'd said at the beginning uh, that we're broken so, so God can use us, uh, and that there is a plan that God has for each and every Christian, each and every believer, uh, the, really that the Christian life, though, though it is enough, uh, enough uh, to accept Christ as your personal saviour and to be saved and to know that you've received that eternal life that will, uh, that, that will, will, will be, you'll be with God forever in heaven. God has a plan for each and every one of us. Down here, while we're here on earth, uh, he has a purpose for each and every one of us. Uh, And though there is some general things in that about what God would do, it is an individual plan and purpose, depending on our calling, our gifting. Uh, This morning we will see with Nehemiah uh, the burden uh, of his heart. And and so we come to Nehemiah this morning, and we'll just give a little bit of of context uh, before we read the the first chapter, that Nehemiah was a cupbearer for king, never get this right, a taxes in Persia. Uh, One day he hears that the walls surrounding Jerusalem lay in ruins. Uh, Nehemiah's body was in Persia, but his heart, his interest, his compassion was 800 miles away in Jerusalem. The the news burdened him, and he knew he had to do something about it. So Nehemiah takes on the rebuilding project of, of what has been broken, and We do not have to go very far from where we are this morning or where you live or your particular circumstances in life uh, to know that there are broken people and there are people that are in need of repair uh, through what God does in a person's life. And God uses you and me to do that. He he uses us uh, to do that. Uh, And so this is really what this story is about this morning with Nehemiah. So we're just going to read the first chapter this morning to help us um, with what we're going to say. And these are the words. It says, the words of Nehemiah, son of Achalia, in the month of Kislev in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Zuza, Han and I, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Then I said, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you 
day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees and laws you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the furthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. They are your servants and your people who you redeem by your great strength and your mighty hand. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favour in the presence of this man. I was a cupbearer to the king. The book of Nehemiah really is an incredible book. It says, for those of you who are aspiring leaders in here, who want to be uh, leaders in ministry, and forget all the other leadership books you read, Nehemiah is the book that you need to read. Because it's a story of how one man gets a burden from God, and he then uses that to influence other people to join him to do what God has called him to do. It's a tremendous book. What, what's great about Nehemiah is this, or, or what makes it incredible is this, that there are no miracles in it. Uh, nobody's healed in it nobody is raised from the dead really to sum it up to help us as we look this morning is this God simply answers the prayer of a man who does four things he simply sees a need he inquires what Jerusalem is like it says that the Jews have gone out into exile some of them have been sent home uh, some people have restored the temple and the word but the actual walls of Jerusalem are, are broken down which means it's easy for people to get in they've got no defences Nehemiah hears you know when somebody tells you something and the burden of what they tell you just immediately connects with your heart this is simply what Nehemiah did he was simply he saw a need he heard about a need 800 miles away his heart was burdened for the need uh, that was there so once he sees that need he does something he, he captures a vision because God is at work here we already see that in if you know the story of Ezra which is very close to Nehemiah and this is all about the restoration of the temple in, in Jerusalem in the Old Testament and the restoration of the word amongst the Jews and the worship and, and things like that so he then captures a vision that he's going to be the man 800 miles away that, that's going to rebuild the walls. And it's not his vision, it's God's vision. And he's captured that, he's in tune with God, and he captures what God wants to do with, with this city because it tells us, and, and this is where I believe a lot of the time our vision comes from, because people hear that there's something broken, and I believe the vision is often the opportunity in God to fix something that's broken. That, that's what I believe, that you see something, a burden, you see something that needs to be done, and, and we can't meet every need, and we're coming on to that later, but he captures a vision, simply God's vision of, of what God wants to do. And so that's the second thing he does. The third thing he, he does is, is he lays a plan. And, and we don't have time to go to the, to the whole book today, but we simply, the plan basically sums up is this. 
is once he's prayed about and he's waited, he approaches the king because he's the cupbearer to the king and he simply says to the king, I want to go back to Jerusalem and repair the walls. The king grants him permission but also gives him letters for his travel so he's able to get all the material and all the people together uh, to fulfil this plan. And at the end of the story of Nehemiah tells you that they built it in this incredible time where each family took a part of the wall and built up their part of the wall. And they ended up building it in, in, in 52 days, which is incredible. Uh, because he did this, and it ties in with the fourth thing that he did, is simply encourage others to join him in that cause. There was something that was broken. He couldn't fix it by himself. He needed the resources of the king, but he also needed other people to come and catch the vision that God had given him. And so therefore, that's the four things that God simply answers the prayer of Nehemiah for. You know, people cry about a lot of things, don't they? I don't know if you could think of the last time that you cried. Maybe you cry at weddings. Maybe sad, a lot of people cry at funerals. A lot of people cry when their children leave home. Maybe you cry at the birth of your children or your grandchildren. Everybody knows somebody who always, always cries at sad movies. It doesn't matter what it, sort of how sad it is. It's always somebody who's gurning at a sad movie. People cry. Today we're looking at a man who simply cried about a broken wall. What is interesting about Nehemiah is this is whenever he heard about what God, whenever he heard about the state that the wall of Jerusalem was in, it tells us that he did this. He simply sat down, wept, and mourned for many days. Just simply, that's what he did. He heard about what had gone on and he simply sat down, wept, and mourned for many days. A calling, a vision has to be tied to what we have a burden about, to what we, what we mourn about, what we, what we cry over, the sort of things that happen and the sort of things that go on in our world that we, we have a burden for. And this is simply what Nehemiah did in this situation. When he heard about what was broken, he simply cried. You see, the person God uses has a burden for his people, a vision for his purpose, and a commitment to, sorry, for his purpose, and a commitment to his plan. The news he had received, Nehemiah, was not encouraging. They were in great distress, and the walls of the city itself were broken down. The city gate was burned with fire. Why does this matter? Why does it matter that the walls were broken down? Well, whatever they did inside of the walls wouldn't make any difference if there was no protection from the outer walls. They couldn't put anything valuable into the temple that they'd built because the thieves could simply just come in and protect it, steal it, sorry. So there was no protection. That's why this mattered, that they had restored the temple and they'd restored the word and they'd restored the worship, but the walls themselves were, were, were broken down. So everybody can just break in. You know, none of us would have gone out of the house this morning or uh, maybe you did, maybe be trusting of your neighbours. The last thing you did if nobody else is left in the house this morning is to go out of the house and check that your door is locked. 
Why do we do that? Because we don't want people just coming into our house while we're not there to steal our TV and everything else that we've got in the house, do we? We would lock the door. Why? Because that's our protection. That's our defence against people coming in to steal. This is just the ancient way here that simply if the walls were broken and the gate was burnt down, there was no defence and everything could everything and everybody could simply get in. But of course, this depressed the people. Not only was Nehemiah broken because he heard that the walls were broken, but obviously he understood that the people back in Jerusalem would have been broken as well because there's no one to lead them. They're in great distress because there's nobody there to tell them what needs to be done. Thieves and robbers were coming in and taking everything. And these people were simply vulnerable to their enemies. Had no defence, no protection. Nothing of any value in an unwalled city because it simply could be stolen away. So the people lived in constant distress, constant disgrace because they understood they were simply just living as survivors. Nobody wants to live as a survivor. Nobody wants to come and we'd say even in our, our Christian lives that we're just surviving. We're just surviving as believers. He says, God has called us to live, uh, to live a life, an abundant life, a life full of purpose. Uh, and there, in this situation here, these people are simply just really, they're, they're down. They're fed up. They're, they're, they're ready to give up. There's, there's nobody there to lead them. There's nobody there to take them to the place where God wants them to be. Yes, they've got the, the temple is there and, and the word is there. And there's some people that are beginning to do some work, have done some work. But they need somebody to come and lead them. And Nehemiah was a great leader. Why was he a great leader? Because he had a vision for a burden. And then he influenced people to join him. Not simply sitting around and being depressed and unhappy about the problems that were going on around them. But actually Nehemiah coming in and influencing them and saying, you know what, it might be bad out there, but we can do something about this because God is with us. And I wonder sometimes if that's an image at the moment and a picture of our church. A picture of, I was talking to somebody last week who was a, a pastor of a church that shall remain nameless. And he said, we would introduce ourselves to each other. And he said, where do you pastor? And I always say it with a sense of pride because I always sort of living hope, I was living hope Belfast. And they say, where's that? And I say, it's the Shankle Road. And they say, oh, that's a tough place. Oh, there's no, you know, there's no, down there says there's loads of problems and loads of challenges. And he started to talk about the good old days and what it was like when there was loads of churches and there was loads of Christians. And, and, lo and I just said to him at the end, I said, but isn't this a great place to have a church? If you're going to preach the good news, if you're going to reach people, are we not in the best place to do that? Are we not in this place where we can influence not other, other people to join the burden that we have and the vision that we have to build? Is that not the best place to put a church? I absolutely believe it is. I believe that it is. And I said that to him as well. And then he walked away. But that's okay. I don't mind. <laughs> Isn't that the best place? Nehemiah comes here and he builds a wall in the best place. You see, well, we should note this, that Nehemiah did not do this. He, did, he didn't do this. 
Sorry, I've lost myself here, he says. So what he does, he begins to fast and pray before the God of heaven. His reaction went beyond this immediate emotion. This idea that I've got to feel this, this need today, but go and do something tomorrow. Many times a concern will come to each of us, uh, and it sort of quickly passes. But if it's from the Lord, then it, it, it'll stick. It's interesting to note if you read that the Hebrew calendar is mentioned in the verses of Nehemiah that we read. And there's four months between Nehemiah hearing the news and Nehemiah beginning the journey to go and talk to the king about the needs and the resources that he needs. And I believe he spent that four months waiting on God, preparing, mourning, weeping. He didn't go and do it in an instant. Often today we think that if God speaks to us today, it's something we must move on tomorrow. And they have been guilty of that as well. It says what we must do is this. If God speaks to us, we must sit. We must look at the burden and pray about the burden and grab hold of the vision for the burden because that's what Nehemiah did here. Because if it's from God, it will abide and, and, and grow in us. Uh, and you see, Charles Spurgeon said this. He says, laying the matter to heart, he did not begin to speak with other people about what they would do, nor did he draw up a wonderful scheme about what must, might be done if so many thousand people joined in the enterprise. But it occurred to him that it's simply at the beginning, he would just do something himself. God had just put a burden on his heart. He spent that four months praying. He spent that four months waiting. He spent that time here that we see just simply waiting on God, not simply looking and saying, well, who's going to give me the resources to do this, the money to do this? Where am I going to find the people from? I'm a great believer in this and trying to apply it to everything that we do in our church, that when God calls us, he always provides, always. Never without fail of us in something that God has asked us to do as a church and he hasn't given us the provision of the people and the resources and the money and everything else that we need to do what we need to do. That's a more up-to-date uh, image, a picture of what God is doing. That he always provides everything that we need for what he calls us to do. That we witness a broken world out there but God will give us the tools and use us as his people to fix that broken world. Now, I don't believe that we have a vision particularly for the whole of Belfast here or for the whole of Northern Ireland. But I do that we have, and I've said this several times as some people will grow, our mission field is here. Our mission field is here. We are in our mission field. We are in the place that God has called us to reach people, that God has called us to help people, to serve people, to see lives rebuilt, to see lives that once were broken, to see them rebuilt. That's the picture, that's the vision that God has given us and the burden that we have as a church to do what God has called us to do. But there are two things that we're, we're not to do that Nehemiah teaches us, I think, in this. Is The first one is this. Don't let the immensity of the needs paralyze you. There are so many needs, isn't there? I mean, in, in, uh, in the world today, in our world, our community, there are just so many needs. Where, where, do, we, where do we begin? Where, where do we begin? I once did, you'll be, not be surprised at this, but I once did an eating challenge where I had to eat a 32-ounce T-bone steak uh, with side orders and all of that. 
And when it came to the, the plate, when it came, the plate was like that with the onion rings, chips. It was, it was huge, like. It was massive. And I took one look at it and thought to myself, how am I going to eat this? And you're like, you ain't had a higher. <laughs> one bite at a time. Now, it always taught me something important when it came to approaching the needs that we had as believers, as a church and stuff. How do we ever meet all the needs? How do we ever do this one at a time? One person at a time. We can't help everybody, but we can help somebody. We can't meet everybody's need, but we can meet somebody's need. And we apply and work that through. You'd be pleased to know I finished the eating challenge. It was no problem. And all they gave me was a T-shirt. T-shirt, like that was all they gave me. But, so, but it was just one bite at a time, but it was just one thing at a time and one need at a time that we meet. Because often we can let the immensity of the need and think to myself, well, what do we need to do here? Do we, do we need to go and work with homeless people? Do we need to go and provide a food bank? Uh, do we need to go and get, help people with furniture? Do we need to do something with mental? How do we know what to do sometimes? Well, we simply don't look at the immensity of the need because the needs are so huge, but begin to do simply what God has called us to do, the burden that we have as a church. That's why often when people come in church and say to me, Pastor, do you think it would be a good idea for us to do this? My response, as it has been to some of you, is do you have a burden for it? Is it, is it, is it your heart to do something you know, have you been gripped by something as God said to you, rather than you coming to me and saying, do I have a burden for it? And I don't really particularly for whatever it is, but rather, do you have a burden for it? And so what we do is we come together with all the burdens that we've got for different things, because this is the way our church is. My heart is different maybe from your heart for something, but all our hearts together are meeting the needs that God has asked us to meet. So we don't put off by the immensity of the needs the second thing we don't do is this, is we don't commit ourselves to something just because the need is there. God has called us to be faithful, not successful. I know that sounds strange, but that's what we're, it, we're called to be faithful. We're called to stick it in and make sure that we stick it out and keep going, keep going, keep going. When other people may turn around and say, I don't want to do that anymore, we keep going. Because God's, God's promise to Nehemiah, once he gave him the burden, would, he would be with him right to the end and the job was finished and fulfilled. And so therefore, what we have to do, or what we learn from the lesson here with Nehemiah is simply this, is God has called him to be faithful, not successful. Now, I don't know which way people look at success, and, and particularly in church, in, in ministry and, and, and stuff, but I think we look at it as fruit, don't we? The fruit that we've always got to look at is the lives of people that are being saved by the work that God is doing and God has called us to do. So what we do, God uses, and God is in the business of saving people, and he's saving people at the moment, and he's saving people over the time, and we're seeing the fruit of that. And that is the only success probably, I would look at probably in church and say, you know what, we want to fill these seats of praying over the years with people who aren't saved yet. Because we prayed a prayer a year ago, and we prayed for the chairs, the empty chairs, that people in a year's time, those chairs would be filled with people that aren't even saved yet. You know, God has answered our prayers because there's people sitting in the chairs this morning that weren't saved a year ago. 
And so we see that, that we're, we're committing ourselves, um, not just because the need is there, but making sure that we're committing ourselves to the right thing, to the thing that God has called us to do. The needs are simply endless. We don't have to respond to all of the world's needs. Nobody could do that. Rather, we do what Nehemiah does. He waits on God in prayer till the burden of his heart with a particular need that he can do something about. He says, recognition of need must be followed by earnest, persistent waiting upon God until the overwhelming sense of world need becomes a specific burden in my soul for one particular piece of work which God would have me do. Leaders must prepare themselves for difficult work because it simply won't be easy. Nehemiah was going to have to go and build this wall, but there were enemies surrounding him all, the, all, all around. There, there, there was the burden of getting all the resources together uh, to build the wall. There was the burden of influencing all the people that were there and, and organizing them and getting them divided into parts of the wall that they would be built. This wasn't going to be easy. This wasn't going to be something that was going to be simple for him to do. But he understood that this was something God had given him to do. And even if everybody else had given up on him, Nehemiah understood that he was going to hold on because God had given him this burden. He spent some time praying about it and doing what God had asked him to do. You see, it's simply true. This is that there is no winning without warfare. There is no opportunity without opposition. There is no victory without vigilance. For whatever the people of God say, let us arise and build, Satan simply says, let me arise and oppose. Nehemiah arrives in Jerusalem about 13 years and after Ezra had returned there. The great leader who God had used to pull off an incredible feat, but he simply instilled the, this encouragement, this burden into the other people that were there. They'd simply given up. They'd started to build and then they thought, the opposition's too much, we don't have enough stuff to build. Nehemiah comes along and he influences and encourages them to say, hey, listen, God is with you. He says, God had already begun with Zerubbabel and Ezra. We see that Zerubbabel had led the way to rebuild Jerusalem's broken temple. And we know that the, the, the famous verse that lots of people quote at the beginning of anything, do not despise the small things because God loves to see the work begin. And the prophet Zechariah says, I says, do not despise the small beginnings because God loves to see the work begin. And that was Zerubbabel's job. He was coming in before Nehemiah, before and rebuilding the broken temple. That, that was his job. The work had already been, the people had got discouraged, and so that they'd given up. Ezra then had led the way to simply restore Jerusalem's broken worship because none of the Jews had been part of any worship for so long. And he'd returned there, as I say, about 13 years before Nehemiah. But he'd only got to the point where he could do so much. And so he'd done this and restored that broken worship. But then Nehemiah, Nehemiah comes. He's now leading the way to repair Jerusalem's broken walls. You see there, there are three things that are broken. The broken temple, the broken worship, and the broken walls. How God encourages me through these verses that I read. Everybody has a part to play. 
God doesn't just use one person. Pick one person. He didn't say Nehemiah led the way to rebuild the temple, led the way to restore the worship, led the way to rebuild the walls. He says there were three people. And all the people that they gathered with them to do the work that God had called them to do. And it's a picture really of what church is about. That everybody has a part to play. Everybody in the body is there to do something to help rebuild the, the broken lives of broken people that come into our church through our encouragement, through our fellowship, through our teaching, through whatever it is that God has called you and me to do. But I'm encouraged by that because simply this, that everybody has a part to play. And sometimes there are so many people that are sitting in church thinking, I have no part to play. I don't have a particular gift. I don't have something God could use. And let me tell you this morning, everybody has something that God can use. Everybody can play their part. There is nobody too old for his kingdom. And there is nobody too young for his kingdom. And every excuse you might have this morning that says, oh, I can't be used by God. I can turn around and give you an example from the Bible and an example from what God does, what God does in a person's life. That God wants to use you this morning. Your story, your testimony, that where God has brought you from, he can use that to reach other people. He says there is nothing that is wasted in God. We are not building a church here around one person or two people or three people. We're building a church here where we want everybody to find their gifting, their place, their function, their part in the body. As Paul writes to the church in Ephesians, everybody has a part to play. God uses the right person for the right job that needed to be done at that time. For another interesting point here is this. There were two things. When I read this, I thought to myself, there were two things that I couldn't do there. The first one is this. I'm a useless builder. I can't build anything unless it's Lego. Um, so therefore, I would be no good at building would need to find somebody else to do the building. Find somebody else who knows something about the building. The second thing is this, and I've said this before. I would be no good restoring the worship. Because I'm a terrible singer. Uh, and I've often said that when I stand down the front there and I worship, somewhere between it leaving my lips and hitting heaven... The angels have filtered it out to make it sound beautiful. I believe that's what God does when we sing, those of us who can't sing. So everybody plays their part. Everybody does something different. Everybody has a responsibility to play in what is happening. I used this the other week, though. God uses broken people like you and me to rescue broken people like you and me. God wanted to fix what was broken. He simply did the first thing, which was he, he gave the burden to Nehemiah, who sat down and spent his time weeping and mourning and fasting and praying about the burden and the need. Nehemiah understood that the burden was from God, and he simply made sure that he was the man to go and do what God had called him to do. It's interesting if you read the whole chapter in Nehemiah 1, as we have done, and I can't preach on it all, his very prayers, his very prayer 
was simply, God, would you forgive us of our sins? God, would you restore to us your word? He understood that he had to do all of that before he went and did what God had called him to do. And even though he sits there broken, even though he sits there, it's for a purpose. That God often does that. He often strips things off of us and he often removes us from certain things. And he often challenges us about certain things because he wants to break us so he can use us. He wants to break us so he, he, he can use us for the plan and the purpose that he has. And he simply just does that with Nehemiah and he can do that with me and you. And he has done that with you and me. There's simply at times when we felt that we want to be used by God, the first step is often a breaking. The first step is often, God, would you, would you do something in my heart first? God, would you, would you give me a burden, Lord, first? God, would you give me the vision for what you would want to do? And you see, the fire of the vision that we have for this church to make a difference in this community, it must be the burden that we carry at all times. It must be the burden that comes with us, not just when we walk into church and out of church. It must be the burden that we carry. It must be that burden that carries us into the prayer meetings. It must be that burden that carries us to church on Sundays. It must be that burden of when people come into church that we're making them feel welcome and, and we're making them feel accepted and we're making them feel like this is a home for them and a family for them. It must be that burden because not everybody wants to carry a burden. Not everybody wants to carry that within them. And that's a challenge for us this morning because we live in this broken world, because we live in this broken community, because we have been called to serve this broken community. We have to have a burden for it first, much like Nehemiah that says, forget going to do something to begin with. Let's make sure we're sitting down and weeping over the young lives that are being taken through suicide. Let, let us make sure that we are mourning and weeping over those people who are suffering with addictions. Let us mourn and weep over those people who are being abused this morning. Let us mourn and weep this morning over the upset and the hurt and the pain and the despair and the distress and the depression that is outside of this building this morning. It's not enough just to say we have a plan to go and do something. It has to break our hearts first. It has to be a burden that we carry. It has to be something that says if it breaks their heart out there when they lose somebody through addiction or through drug abuse or through something like that, it breaks our heart in here because it's another life lost. It has to be like that. It has to be something that simply says to us that we carry that burden because it will be the burden that simply keeps us going day in, day out. It will be the burden that keeps us coming through the doors of this church. It will be the burden that helps us to keep giving to whatever need we present to you. And you say, I can't make a lot of difference, but I can make some difference. It will be that burden that we carry and we lift. And even like Nehemiah, it's 800 miles away and all he's being told is the stories of distress. He simply does something about it by saying, I got down, I sat and I wept and I mourned and I did nothing for the four months before I went to the king and I wonder if our prayers have got to be like that can't just be enough for us to say it's okay to come to the prayer meeting once a month 
Or it's okay for us to say, you know what, the prayer meeting's optional because, you know, I'm busy at work or there's something else is on. I tell you, our burdens are evidenced by how much of that that we put into prayer. And we've got to move aside everything else. We've got to turn around with everything else and say none of this other stuff matters. This is a calling that God has given you and me, a vision to come and build something in this community. When everybody else says, why would you do it here? We say it's the best place to do it because it's a place that God has called us to do it. And you see, we do that today, this morning, as we gather together. Nehemiah finishes because he he knew something about what God wanted to do with his people. In 1 verse 9 it says, I will bring them to the place where I have chosen to cause my name to dwell. That's our church. We have said, what do we want to be? A church that exalts him. A church that preaches him. A church that prays to him. A church that worships him. It says, this place here, I will bring them to a place where I have chosen to cause my name to dwell. I don't speak many words out, as most of you know. But I tell you, when I read that last week, I said, that's our word for our church, from God. That's our word. I've never been more certain of it. Though I speak that out this morning to the people in this community that they will come to a place where I have chosen to cause my name to dwell and it's here. It's here in Living Hope Belfast and 25 Shankle Parade, BT 13 1DS. <laughs> chosen, chosen this place to cause my name to dwell. Everything else on the surface doesn't matter. His name dwells here. People are saved because his name dwells here. It says people are set free because his name dwells here. People bring their burdens into church and they're set free from those burdens because his name dwells here. His name dwells here. Do you agree with me? His name dwells here. And you see, we don't fix the broken people. God fixes the broken people. And you see, all we do is present an opportunity for them to take a seat with the rest of us who have simply lived lives where we didn't know what it was about, where we lost our way, where we felt like giving up and we met God one day and he changed our life and he restored us and he set us free and we take a seat at the front here to simply say, God, thank you for fixing me. Thank you for using me after I was broken. Would you do it with everybody else? And that's a prayer that we pray, isn't it? That God does that work in each and every one of us. I'm sorry I'm passionate this morning, but I tell you, this word has stuck with me in my heart this week. That simply this, I believe God has got so much more for you and for me than suddenly what we've got at the moment. And it's simply people coming in with the baggage and people getting set free and us worshipping God and carrying the burdens that God has got for you and me. And we must carry those burdens this morning. The team are going to join me on the platform as we finish this morning. Let us stand to our feet this morning, please. And I want us to do this because we did this a year ago when we did it the previous year. While we're worshipping this morning, if you feel led to move, and you should feel led because 
It's just one of those things. Just come out of your seat, go and pray for an empty chair. And pray for a chair that nobody's sitting at. And pray this prayer. That simply, God, would you fill this chair with a person who's saved next to you? There are people in here this morning who once saved a year ago. So we know God answers prayer. And so we're sitting looking at empty chairs and we simply take hold of that chair and say, God, my burden is for this chair. God, would you, would you fill it with a person who doesn't know you yet? Are we believing for that? Are we passionate about that? Come on, church, let's begin to worship and begin to move as we pray this morning. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Hallelujah, Lord. Thank you, Lord.